Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to be reading from the first chapter. Read verses 16 through 20. But as we come to this text, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that even now, even here, you will speak to us. We are here, O God. We are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen now for God's word for us. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So we began this road trip series with this quote, the least you can do in your life is figure out what to hope for, and the most you can do is live inside that hope. I want us to reflect on that a little more today. One of the first stories of our faith is the call of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, leave your father and your kindred and your father's house and go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you the father of a great nation. It's a pretty big promise to an old man who was childless. So Abraham did just that, and in time, it worked out just as God said. Well, our text this morning is actually the exact same story. Uh, this time, it's Jesus who's doing the calling, and it's not Abraham, but Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're called to leave everything. They even leave the old man Zebedee in the boat, and they head out as Jesus promises, I will make you fishers of people. I suppose that's more interesting than being fishers of fish. Anyway, they left everything, and they went. I've often read this passage as a commentary on the sacrifice required to be a disciple. I mean, after all, these guys, they had a, they had a good life. They had jobs. They had good jobs. They had family. They, they had tradition. They had a way of being in the world. 
And yet they encounter Jesus and they sacrifice all of that. They leave all of that behind and they journey on the road with Jesus. There had to be, there had to be something pretty compelling about this trip. That's what strikes me this time around. I wonder what happened there. It, it seems that Jesus met these men who had a fine life. And he created in them a hunger for something new, for something different. And it's that hunger that puts them on the road. Now, I have to confess, if Jesus said to me, Tom, come and I will make you fishers of people, <laughs> I, I might stay at home. It doesn't sound that compelling to me, but it raises the question, what would get me on the road? What would get you on the road. To ask it more simply, what do you want? That's not a question about what are your basic desires, like, I don't know, you want more ice cream in your life, or you want to lose some weight because you got too much ice cream in your life. It's not about desires. It's not, it's not about your work, your job. What we do never quite gets to it deep enough. It's certainly not a bucket list question. Do you want to travel in Alaska? No, when all is said and done, I think what Jesus is asking is, what do you want your life to have been for? What do you want your life to mean? What do you want to contribute? I think these disciples hit the road because Jesus changed their ambitions. Okay, I need to talk about that word a little bit, ambition. It's a, it's a slippery word for us. I, I, had a, I had a call recently from an elder at another Presbyterian church on the East Coast. He was part of a pastor nominating committee, and their job was to find another pastor, a new pastor for their congregation, and they had zeroed in on a buddy of mine, and so he called to get a reference check. So he said, tell me what you know about this guy. And we talked for a little while. And then he said, you know, uh, we talked to another friend of his, and that other friend described him this way, said, this pastor is the most ambitious person I know. And he said, Tom, we're kind of struggling with that. We're not sure how to take that. Is a pastor supposed to be ambitious? Is a Christian supposed to be ambitious? It's a good question. You know, I think sometimes when we think of ambition, we, we tend to think of, oh, I don't know, someone who's a little arrogant, self-focused. Look at me, someone who wants to be great, do great things, make their mark in the world. Well, there's clearly nothing arrogant about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But James K. Smith has helped me with this. He, is, he says that the opposite of ambition is not humility. The opposite of ambition is apathy, sloth. He said, if one is ambitious as a follower of Jesus Christ, then that person is courageous and energetic not lazy. 
It makes some sense to me. These disciples, they were courageous. We said last week it takes courage to get on the road, and to be a follower of Jesus Christ takes work. So there's nothing lazy about it. Because this is true, I think, I think these disciples discovered they wanted something in their life that they had yet to know, that they had yet to see. And it is that hunger, that reformed ambition that gets them on the journey. So there was a day this past week when I confess to you, I, I just wanted a little respite. I wanted a breather. I, I didn't want another update on COVID. I didn't want to, to hear again about the fires in the West and the storms in the South and how they're made more intense by climate change. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to see another protest or a protests joined by looters or gun-toting vigilantes. I didn't want to see another black man brutalized. I didn't want to see a police officer attacked. I just wanted some respite. I just, I just wanted a quiet place to rest. I know you know what I'm talking about. We all hunger for that at times. We all need that sometimes. I imagine God also feels that way sometimes. I mean, how is it? How is it after all this time that God has not thrown up her hands and said, forget it. They're never going to get it right. They're always going to live in fear. They're always going to injure each other. If this is the way they insist on being in my world, let them be that way. I'll go somewhere else and make a, another world a better world. God didn't decide that. It's clear God instead said, I need to go down there where it hurts. I need to go down there where it's broken. I need to go down there and heal that which needs healing. That's the reason Jesus finds himself standing on this lakeshore and calling these disciples to follow him. He came to make us hungry for that which we've never known, to make us hungry for a way in ourselves and a way in our world to be more what God dreams of us. He came to reform our ambitions and to show us what we really want. And so as I think about this series, as I think about this text, I've been thinking, what I really want, <laughs> and it's not just about what I want, but I, let me tell you what I want. I hope there are wants that are informed by the presence of Jesus Christ in my own life. I want the people I love to trust that I love them. And that includes the people of this congregation. I want those who work for a living to actually make a living. 
I want us to take seriously that not everybody is treated the same in this country, and to say so is not political, it's faithful. I, I want leaders to tell the truth, and I, want, and I want the rest of us to accept nothing less. I want children to be safe and scientists to be believed and music to be plentiful. I want us to recognize we can't love America and hate Americans. I, I want making a buck to be an honorable endeavor, but never an excuse for a neighbor's suffering. I want freedom to be more a declaration of my responsibilities than an affirmation of my rights. I want us to remember that truth, real truth, is always complex, and so it is quite possible to be supportive of police and to insist that brutality stop, and it is possible to be supportive of protest and oppose looting and violence. I want the willingness to sacrifice oneself for the common good, not to be viewed as the life choices of the lost and the loser, but to be something that is admired. I want friendships to determine how we face issues rather than issues determining who our friends are. I want children to go to schools that not only teach them life skills, but teach them how to be grown-ups. I want kindness to be the power that shapes how we engage one another. I want us to remember that worship is not just an experience, but a discipline, a regular returning to the source of our life. I want to be more faithful tomorrow than I was yesterday. I'm not telling you what you want. I'm telling you that as I think about the life of Jesus Christ, these are some of the yearnings that grow in my own heart. So I encourage you, do that. Reflect on the life of Jesus Christ, and then ask yourself, what do you want? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.